0: Welcome to the Doyen of Death podcast, funeral planning for those who don't plan to die. It's all about end of life issues and getting the conversation started about our 100% mortality rate. This series is hosted by Gail Rubin, certified thanatologist and the Doyen of Death. A Doyen is a woman who's considered senior in a group and knows a lot about a particular subject. Well, that's Gail. She knows all about creating the party no one wants to plan, a funeral or memorial service. She discusses the changes death can bring, and she'll make you laugh. This series includes episodes previously released as A Good Goodbye, a treasure trove of evergreen podcasts about funeral planning issues. This podcast reveals some of the mysteries and shares advice and tools that can reduce stress at times of grief, minimize family conflict, and help create a good goodbye. Remember, just as talking about sex won't make you pregnant, Talking about funerals won't make you dead, and your family will benefit from the conversation. So here to talk about the subjects we sometimes avoid is author, speaker, and the doyen of death, Gail Rubin.
1: Welcome. This is part two of our two-part episode. If you missed part one, do yourself a favor and go back to listen. And now back to more with the doyen of death. Welcome back. The topic today is Jewish funeral traditions and we are talking with David Zinner, founder and executive director of Kavod Benechum. So David, the topic we we touched just briefly in in the last section about neither speeding up nor slowing down the process of decomposition. And yet the cremation rate in the United States is definitely growing, and it's definitely growing among Jews. I'm on the cemetery committee for my synagogue, and it is a reform synagogue, and we have added cremation plots in our cemetery. So let's talk a little bit about that uh, thought, about cremation in Jews. It's, it's an anathema to certain segments of the religion, is it not?
2: It is. You know, so cremation is considered um, contrary to traditional Jewish funeral and burial practice. And and part of what happens is that uh, folks who are very traditional don't usually um, give very good explanations about why it's not part of our tradition. Um, but the, so the first reason, the one that we already talked about, that we don't want to do anything to... Hasten the decomposition of the body. We'd rather let it decompose naturally in the earth. Um, is it, just the first one, but there, there are lots of reasons why ground burial is, is superior to cremation. Um, cremation uses a lot of um, a lot of energy, fossil fuels um, that ground burial doesn't use. Um, ground burial preserves green space, in, uh, especially in cities where green space is at a premium. Um, ground burial allows for a communal participation. People gather around the grave and they help fill it in and and then in cremation you don't have anything like that. Um and and ground burial also um can be an emotional release for people. It's a cathartic experience to uh to shovel dirt into the grave, it, it, it's something physical you can do that actually, um, you know, it, for, for someone who's experienced a loss, having something physical they can do, it, it can be very important to, to get the grieving process going if it hasn't gotten started already. So mm-hmm. those are just a few of the reasons. There's lots more. Um, the, the biggest the biggest thing cremation has going for is that going it is that it's cheaper and that's one of the challenges to the Jewish and, and other communities that that are trying to maintain their cemeteries.
1: Mhm. Um I have been to funerals actually where the grave is filled in by everybody there. I mean actually filled in. I think we've gotten to a state with uh cemetery Burials that, if there's any dirt being put on the casket, it's more sort of a symbolic thing. But you do make a very good point that shoveling earth is hard work and it is cathartic. Um, and, and and it's uh,
2: it, it's it's ex, it's experiential, you know. That there, as you go through the the mourning process, uh, there are a limited number of. Things that you can do, you know, you you sort of sit there as a mourner and you you talk to people and and that's that's good and helpful, but there's only a couple things, a couple different times when you can actually do something. Then that can be very helpful, um, especially if people are having difficulty expressing feelings or getting in touch with uh, with their grief. The the other one is a, a Jewish tradition, which is is not as well known or has been changed and, and it's called krea which is the the ripping of clothes um the the tearing of your clothes when when a person when you hear that a person has died can be amazingly um um powerful uh usually you have to you know if if you're wearing like a shirt and someone has to get it started with a, a razor blade, and then you when you rip it it can Really get you in touch with the the sort of ripping feeling that you that, that you actually have from the person's death. So I, I compare those two things: the the ripping of clothing and the filling in the grave of the two physical things that you can do that, as a mourner, where you can really um, connect with feelings.
1: Mm-hmm. In fact, have you seen the? Two films from Mexico: My Mexican Shiva and Nora's Will. They both show. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, <laughs> <laughs> the Mexican Shiva was a great, great movie, and uh, very you know, the, you it's did. it's interesting. It's, it's it's interesting that a number of those movies that are out there, Departures, the Japanese one, and um, you know, are. Give us insight into our own culture and our own practices. Um, you know, there's Family Undertaking was another great movie, um, that, you know, where, which was about home death and people making their own caskets. All of those give us insight into our own culture, um, and, you know, help, especially if you, if you want to understand Jewish funeral practices, they stress a lot of the values of, the reality of death, the simplicity, the equality aspects, th- things that uh, you know are, are essential parts of the Jewish
1: traditional practice. Mm-hmm. Now, w- one tradition is a pitcher of water at the either at the gate of the cemetery or at the door of the house of mourning, and when you think about. If you had just spent the afternoon shoveling dirt, filling up a grave, you're definitely going to need a pitcher of water to wash your hands. But it's ritual as well as practical.
2: That's right. That's right. You're, yeah, you may you may a pitch uh, to uh, to, but you're right. There's also a, a symbolic uh, aspect of uh, you know water, water symbolizes a. A change, and when we go from from the cemetery, which is about death, into the house where people are mourning the death, but it's but the people are alive, you know, the, the, we we recognize that transition. Mm-hmm.
1: There's also a... will
2: tell you a story about uh, if you, if you want I'll tell you a story sure. about the uh, filling in the grave when when my. Uh, father-in-law died um my uh, nieces nephews and children um i encouraged them to stay with me to fill in the grave um and and the parents were sort of like but they're all dressed up you know they've got on suits and dresses and stockings and you know nice shoes and all that and i said it's okay you know all that stuff can be cleaned and they said well okay, we're all going back to the house, and I said, okay, go ahead, we'll fill it in, and it took us a couple hours, you know, but after, you know, the first five or ten minutes, we started talking about their grandfather, and um it, it was a, a good experience for them because they had the opportunity to feel like they were needed, but they also had the opportunity to talk about their grandfather, and... You know, if they had gone back to the house immediately, they might have just gone up to their rooms or gone off on the side and not been a part of what was going on. And I think that was a, a good experience for them. And they were only like, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, that kind of thing. So, you know, if the kids are mature enough, they can play a very important role in the funeral process.
1: And it would be a very memorable experience for them as well. Yeah. The... Tearing of clothes um, has sort of morphed into the tearing of a black ribbon that gets pinned to your clothes. And my understanding is that that would be the time that marks the, the transition from focusing on taking care of the dead body and the arrangements for the funeral to focusing on the family. Is that your understanding of it? Well,
2: not exactly. the 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 transition time would take place at the burial. So, you know, once the person is buried, then then the focus switches from the person who died to taking care of the family. And the first thing we do to take care of the family is they, at the cemetery. They walk through the parallel lines and of people, and and people offer comfort, uh, both in words and and in hugs and things like that. And then they go back to the house and we give them a meal of comfort. So, so the, 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 the black ribbons and the cutting of the ribbons, you know, are sort of, uh, well, we don't want to rip our clothes. That would be like, uh, you know, bad. And, but, you know, we say to people, you know, bring a shirt that, you know, or wear something that you don't mind. You know, I'm sure you have something in your closet that, that you wouldn't mind ripping. And, you know the experience of ripping is so powerful, and unless you are someone who sews, you don't understand how difficult it is to rip cloth, and you know how how it can resonate through your whole body when you do that, and just really help you, you know, reach to a place where you know it, it makes a kind of strong impact on you,
1: mm-hmm. and death does cause a tear in the fabric of our lives it's quite poetic what about the tradition of when when the casket is being carried to the grave there's a tradition of stopping seven times do you can you explain what that's what's behind that
2: well, the usual explanation for that is that we are showing our reluctance to bury the person the, to let go and and that we um, that we want to recognize that this isn't something we do eagerly but something that we do because it's out of obligation that that is our our practice um so we show some hesitation it's it's sort of parallel to the way that we do the first shovel fulls of dirt um, on the grave, we turn the shovel upside down and, and we use the back of the shovel to to do the first shovel full of dirt. So both of those show that things aren't normal, that, that uh, you know, this is unusual and, and it's not something that we're eager for but something that we feel we must do. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. And then also uh, we're getting close to one more break, but... Um the tradition of sitting close to the ground in the house of mourning for the, for the immediate family that's mourning the loss. I've heard that's to be close to the earth that the loved one is resting in. Is that your understanding? Well,
2: close to the earth. Yes. And, and, uh, you know, we're, we're, you know, feeling low ourselves, physically low, spiritually low. And, uh, you know, we remind ourselves that, uh, um, you know, the, the keeping everything a little bit somber and and uh, yeah. So I, I, there's a number of explanations for it, um, and and uh, but one of the other ones is that it's different. You know that you know Life we're showing lots of differences yeah. in the way we yeah. act.
1: Well, we'll talk more about uh, some of these traditions during uh, the next segment of the program. We're discussing Jewish funeral traditions on A Good Goodbye Today with David Zinner, with the organization Kavod Benichum, which means honor and comfort. We'll be back.
0: Gail Rubin, the doyen of death, has been producing Before I Die festivals for years. These festivals get end-of-life planning conversations started by putting the fun in funeral planning. Outside-the-box activities break down barriers to discussing death and planning for our 100% mortality rate. And now, Gail has created the Before I Die Festival in a Box, the comprehensive guide to producing your own community festival. It includes everything you need to create a successful event, how to find sponsors, build a team, market the event, schedule speakers, topics for discussion, workshop ideas, and much, much more. To learn how to get your Before I Die Festival in a Box, visit BeforeIDieFestivals.com or call 505-265-7215.
1: Welcome back. We are talking about Jewish funeral traditions with David Zinner. So, David, what other things change in the household when uh, you have a house of mourning? Mi- mirrors and pictures getting covered is um, one of those traditions that has a lot of different reasons given for doing that. And it's it's a very interesting Concept I actually saw at one of the uh, funeral expos. There's a guy who makes shades. He calls them Shiva shades, that are things you would uh, attach. Uh, Do you know him?
2: Yeah, I've seen the product and talked to them, yes. Um, And, you know, people talk a lot about covering mirrors as one of the big changes, but that isn't the really big change. The really big change is what happens in the house, and that is that all of a sudden, you know, what was your house has turned into something different. Um, The tradition is that, you leave your door unlocked and that people don't knock on the door. They just walk in. And that, you know, you people come and they don't necessarily speak to you. Um, they wait for you to speak to them, and then they respond depending on what you say. And there are services in your house, um, maybe in the evenings only or maybe in the morning and the evenings, um, and people will bring food to your house. And all of a sudden, it's like, Instead of it, you being the host, you're supposed to act more like the guest in your own house. Those are the really interesting changes about what happens in the house of mourning um, in in traditional Jewish practice. Um, you know, sometimes we forget, and you know, or we lose a tradition, and and people, you know, um, end up talking about sports or politics or whatever um, instead of focusing on the mourners. So one of the ways that that I'll suggest that people deal with that issue is to keep it from turning into like a rowdy party kind of thing is um, when we have this service uh, in the evening, a shiva service, um, that instead of just doing the service and then breaking and everybody eating, um, we stop in the middle of the service and we give the, the family that lost someone a chance to share and to tell stories about that person, and to pass around pictures and albums, and and to reminisce and to repeat some of the things they might have said at the funeral. And if they're grandchildren, uh, give them a chance to say something too. Um, and and that way you have the whole group's attention. And then afterwards, people can come up to the family and ask for more information about something that they heard.
1: You know, there's so much conversation going on these days about people wanting their lives celebrated and not so much, you know, mourning, but what do you think about that? And is, does that have any place in Jewish tradition?
2: I think it does. Uh, I think, you know, um, mourning and celebration are, you know, part of a continuum from my perspective that, you know, depending on, you know, how the person died and how they lived, uh, you know, can be very appropriate for for any kind of uh, funeral or shiva. Um, you know, we want to celebrate the things that the person accomplished in their life and and the good that they did and what they contributed to the world and how they you know raised a family or were you know involved in a family in some way, and how they gave back to the community, so I think that's very much in keeping with Jewish tradition um, at the same time we're sad that they're not going to be here to continue doing that work, so you know it's it's you know in in many funerals it's bittersweet uh, you know there's the there's the good and the sad and, and uh I think it's important to recognize all of it and to give people an opportunity to to talk about it there i've been to I've, I've led Shivas where you know um it's very quiet, people are listening to every word, and then someone will tell a joke, and all of a sudden the tension will be gone, and everyone will laugh and you know it, it's a good thing it's not a bad thing mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. now music is uh, traditionally not played in House of Mourning. Do you think that it has a place, though?
2: I do. Um, I'm a music person and I think music at funerals and even in the House of Mourning, especially for someone who died who was musical, um, you know, if the person played an instrument or was part of a choir or had favorite songs that they wanted, you know, played at their funeral that they felt were meaningful, you know, I, I think customizing funerals and shiva services um, is a good thing. It, it helps us uh, remember the person, helps us understand who they were if we if we didn't know them. Mm-hmm.
1: In fact, there was an article in the New York Times months ago about secular shivas, where people who weren't Jewish were coming together at, the house of the mourner to basically support them as we do in the Jewish tradition, um, and having some sorts of rituals uh, to remember the person. So I think it's interesting that the Jewish tradition was actually extending out into a more secular setting.
2: Yeah, we you know the Jewish traditions uh, have a lot going for them and. Um, Jews should feel comfortable, um, you know, sharing with other religions what we do, and uh, if people want to, uh, you know, adopt some of these practices, I think it's great. Um, but part of that means that we have to understand what we do as our practices and have to understand the meaning behind it. So it's really important for people to to uh, study up on what Jewish traditional practices are so that they they, they're aware of them. It, too many people, uh, I think, have a tendency to reject without really understanding. Mm-hmm.
1: And they really are a number of beautiful, meaningful traditions. For example, when you come home from the cemetery to the House of Mourning, there's the lighting of a very large candle. Can you talk a bit about that tradition?
2: Sure, the, the shiva candle is supposed to last for seven days while you're sitting shiva. Um, and it you know helps you, the flame reminds you of the life of the person who, who you're remembering. It's, it's, uh, um, candles are the really central part of Jewish tradition. We light candles on the Sabbath. But we also light candles uh, every year on the, person, the anniversary of the person's death on their yard site. Um, to remember them. And um, so it, it's, a, it's a great, great tradition because every time you walk by, it helps you remember. Mm-hmm.
1: In fact, uh, talking about the anniversary of the death, what I do at my house is we'll set up a picture of that person on our kitchen table and light the 24 hour candle. And it's sort of like for that 24 hours, that person is with us they're certainly, you know, there in our thoughts mm-hmm. and as we look mm-hmm. at their pictures. But that's sort of an addition that yes. I did myself. So what other um, traditions or... Well, I think that's or, good, though, yeah. Um, other thoughts uh, that people need to know about Jewish funeral traditions? You know,
2: the, the, uh, the, the traditions are, are based on... Um recognizing the reality of death and on simplicity um keeping it really simple and on equality um but but they're also based on uh, keeping things inexpensive, and that's something that the whole Jewish funeral industry has sort of uh, lost and something we need to bring back it is in in the old days, like you know a couple thousand years ago. I was reading problem of expensive funerals and Jews abandoning their traditions and uh, not not following them because it was too expensive. And so this is not a new problem. It goes back at least 2,000 years. The, the question, the challenge for us is can we maintain Jewish traditions and yet keep prices low enough so it's affordable? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and uh, in fact, I'm originally from the Washington, D.C. area. You're you're out there in Maryland. And my parents have burial plots in uh, northern Virginia. And they do intend to be buried there, although they don't live in the D.C. area anymore. So I know that body shipment will be involved wherever they die. And... Um, uh, your organization was involved in helping uh, get a, a Jewish burial package set up, I believe, for Jews in the Washington D.C. area.
2: Well, it was—it was sort of—it was really the other way around. Um, oh. So back in 1976, there was a group called the Jewish Funeral Practices Committee of Greater Washington, and that group established a contract with a local. Jewish funeral home, I'm sorry, with a local funeral home, um, which was less than half the price of a normal funeral, and that contract still exists today with with different funeral homes. Uh, The contract today is with a funeral home, costs about $1,820 for a funeral, including a casket, and not a burial, but that's the funeral cost. Which is comparable to five or six thousand dollars for a normal funeral with gaskets. so it saves people a tremendous amount of money, and it encourages them to practice uh, Jewish traditions. And that group, the Jewish Funeral Practices Committee, was instrumental in helping find, found this national group of Oison that I'm the executive director of.
1: That's great. Well, um, any closing thoughts you'd like to share? Uh, we've just got another minute or so left.
2: I appreciate you having me on, and uh, thank you for your good work. Um, I think it's really interesting to look at different religions and how they how they do uh, death uh, practices. I was on a a panel with a Muslim and a Buddhist recently um, at a conference regarding organ and tissue donation, and the the panelists uh, had such a good time talking to each other before and after, it was more fun than actually doing the presentation. So I, I would encourage people to, uh, to talk to each other about what their practices are. It, it can be very enlightening and, and usually forces you to go back and look up something about your own religious practices.
1: Yeah. Well, and, yeah, we could talk about body donation. And, in fact, we have on another program, but that's considered a good deed these days. And, in fact, there's more information about Jewish funeral traditions in my book, A Good Goodbye, Funeral Planning for Those Who Don't Plan to Die. And you can find that at agoodgoodbye.com as well as uh, through online retailers. So I want to thank you, uh, David Zinner, for joining me today. So remember talking about sex won't make you pregnant, talking about funerals won't make you dead. Start a conversation today.
0: Gail Rubin, the Doyen of Death, is the author of three award-winning books. In A Good Goodbye, funeral planning for those who don't plan to die, learn how to save money, reduce family conflict, and minimize stress at a time of grief. Just as talking about sex won't make you pregnant, talking about funerals won't make you dead, and your family will benefit from the conversation. Kicking the bucket list, 100 Downsizing and Organizing Things to Do Before You Die brings a light touch to downsizing and organizing for end-of-life issues. And hail and farewell, cremation ceremonies, templates and tips, helps you easily create meaningful memorial services with sample scripts, suggested readings, and music recommendations. These fine books by Gail Rubin, The Doyen of Death, are available on Amazon and wherever books are sold. For more information, visit a agoodgoodbye.com. Thank you for joining us on The Doyen of Death podcast. You can find episodes of this podcast and past episodes of A Good Goodbye with Gail Rubin on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information on Gail's work, visit a agoodgoodbye.com.